Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show on the SOT Radio Network, where we expose the lies and emphasize the truth about health in our modern world. Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. <clears throat> Joining me from in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have uh, Doug and Gabby today, so limited crew. Um, uh, but we're going to do our best to um, cover the topic at hand. Uh, today we're going to talk about sleep. So we, we spend one-third of our lives uh, in a state of sleep, uh, but the reasons are still elusive. Despite the clear importance of sleep, it seems to be one of the first things that we sacrifice uh, when things get rough. So we're going to talk about whether or not you're sleeping properly, um, about our modern habits and how they interfere with the essential uh, life process and sleep patterns, and how we can maximize the benefits of our sleep uh, to ensure greater health. So we're going to go over a few things um, in that regard. Uh, what are the negative impacts of not getting enough sleep? And how can you ensure that you get more through uh, just your general practice and things like supplementation as well? Um, <clears throat> but we'll start off today a little bit with uh, in connecting the dots, just some items from the news uh, from the health and wellness section on SOT. Uh, this week. Um, I have an article here that I thought was pretty interesting uh, from Yahoo News. <clears throat> Pollution blamed for nearly 10,000 deaths in London in 2010. Apparently, air pollution was the cause of early deaths of almost 9,500 people in Britain's capital city in 2010, according to research by King's College uh, London. The study showed for the first time the impact of nitrogen dioxide from exhaust fumes and fossil fuel burning and showed that the problem was far greater than previously thought. Uh, in 2010, there were 3,537 premature deaths in London due to particulate matter and 5,879 due to nitrogen dioxide. Um, so that's, those are quite impactful figures. Um, it says here, these figures suggest that every year, six times as many people are killed by air pollution in London as are killed in road traffic accidents across the entire country, which is pretty hmm. wild as well. Yeah. And I know they, uh, <clears throat> some people may have, you know, known or, or heard about the, the heyday of London during the, uh, the industrial revolution and how, you know, every house was burning a coal um, or, you know, wood fire and the city was extremely dirty. Um, and they kind of point to that as the time when a lot of people died from air pollution or got lung disease, but it seems to be um, pretty much the same now as far as these uh, numbers indicate. Um, but now <clears throat> we're not just looking at uh, things like coal burning. You know, we're looking at particulate matter from all sorts of industrial processes, stuff that has built up over many years. So that's yeah. from, uh, yeah. from London. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because I know like the smog thing, you know, I remember like, you know, probably about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there was all these, um, uh, you know, there, there was always these these problems with smog. You know, you'd, you'd see this like, a you know, images of a city and there was just this haze over it. Um, I think that that seems to have like decreased a bit, but I think that's only the visual aspect of it. It's like they found a way to make it like a little bit more invisible, like all the toxic stuff is still there. But um, mm -hmm. but you don't see. I mean, some cities are still really bad for smog, but uh, but I, it seems like um, the actual visual aspect of it 
is is uh, is, is has lessened. So it seems like it's it kind of like gone out of people's minds. People don't tend to really think about how polluted their environment actually is. Sure. Yeah. They think just because they don't see the smog, it's fine because there are more controls now for car smog mm -hmm. or some or stuff like that. But you know, obviously the studies show that it is not the case. You know, it's thousands and thousands of people are dying for industrial toxicity. You know. Um, then, you know, people usually concentrate on passive smoking and the effect mm. of that, you know, on people's health problem when <laughs> actually yeah. you don't need passive smoking in order to be, like, suffering seriously from industrial pollution. Yeah. yeah. I find that and there's a lot of these um, kind of, uh, you know, movements that people, uh, you know, take part in to think that they're kind of making things better, you know, they'll, they'll use these uh, um, compact fluorescent bulbs and they'll, you know, they um, are instituting all these smoking bans and, you know, there's the, the electric cars and things like that. But it really, like, that that doesn't even make a dent in the situation. I mean, industrial pollutants are the worst the worst part of it. So it's like, uh, you know, you give these people the the perception that they're able to kind of help in some way in some way you know they they take reusable bags to the grocery store and 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 think that they're they're making this big difference but they really doesn't even make a dent in the situation. Mm. A case a case in point about invisible toxicity is uh, you know how we discussed in previous shows electromagnetic wave pollution you know, mm -hmm. how it affects our health and we don't even see the stuff you know. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But anecdotally, too, I think anyone who lives in a, uh, a rural area has experienced this when, when visiting the city. I know the, the last time that I drove through Chicago, you could smell the city as you were coming up onto it. Mm -hmm. and it was just completely different, you know, the, the um, just the smells. And, uh, you know, so that's just a, an anecdotal indicator. Um, I've had a similar experience when I've gone to to other places like you know Detroit or Los Angeles or anywhere where there's a high population density, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, just the concentration of fumes uh, is really indicative. Yeah, definitely, I can relate to that. I, I used to live in California for a while, and uh, um, I was out on the coast um, where it was like all fresh air because you know you got the the wind coming in off the ocean, so there was no um, pollution out there to speak of really. But then any time we took a trip into the city, it was a, it was a huge difference. Like I remember coming back yeah. from um, from from L.A. and like you know this gets a little bit gross, but the stuff I was pulling out of my nose was like black, and like, <laughs> you know that didn't happen when I was you know just spending the day you know on on the coast. So yeah, it, it really it, it, there's a huge amount of pollution in these in in these cities for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of the invisible pollution, Gabby, did you want to talk for a minute about um, cell radiation? Maybe you're going to cover some some of that. Oh yeah, uh, this week. Um, yeah, this week, Sayer G from GreenMedInfo.com he published an article titled "Brainwave Warping Effect of Mobile Phones." He basically cover, covers a recent study published on, um, on PLUG One, a scientific journal, and it, and it goes through the research that electroencephalographic changes um, due to experimentally induced 3G mobile phone radiation. 
Um, that is, they found that there were significant radiation effects uh, from using mobile phones. There were changes in the, electri in the electrical registry of your brain, and it was associated with mobile phone usage, and the effect was dependent on site of placement. So it is more data uh, which supports the fact that, you know, the mobile phone is not only carcinogenic, radiation-emitting device, but may alter the structure and function of the brain, including the brainwave activity that, that is intimately connected to cognition, mood, and behavior. This is the reason I try to pay attention to this research because, you know, uh, we spoke in previous programs on how electromagnetic wave pollution can weaken our health and we can become chemical sensitive, sensitive or electromagnetically sensitive. We tolerate less and less uh, wave toxicity, but I think the problem is much bigger than that. You know that we literally are using our smartphones are literally changing the way we think, mm -hmm. very much. You know, and yeah. uh, these, these data to support this this theory, and uh, it's pretty frightening. Three G. It's specifically with. Um, 3G mobile phones, that's what they used in the study. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. But, but of course, there's no real reason to believe that, yeah, there's no real reason to think that 4G or, or LTE or ever, any of these other ones are any better. Yeah. That could, could be much worse. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Yeah. It's funny how much, it's like, you tough. know, this, this research is, like, uh, ignored. Um, throughout the world, you know? It's like people don't really want to know this. Everybody has become fairly dependent on their smartphones and their iPads and all these other, their Wi-Fi, this kind of stuff. And, every, and nobody really wants to know um, that this stuff might actually be harming them. You know, if, it's, it's too bad because I think if people were actually more aware of it and more, um, you know, uh, incensed by it, maybe people would start looking for alternatives. Like, there might actually be a way to have a smart device that doesn't, you know, fry your brain. But uh, we won't yeah. know if we don't accept the fact that these these things are harmful. Right. It would take some research and some changing of patterns and habits for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure. I'm a kind of old school, you know, like people are relying too much on their smartphones for, you know, for data, for phone numbers. I think this was in the news recently as well. Like people are getting literally dumb because they mm -hmm. stopped memorizing um, phone numbers or even data like birthdays because <laughs> everything's on yeah. the smartphone. They lose their smartphone yeah. like they lose their head literally. It's like, oh, that's pretty, you know, sad, pathetic. Yeah. I, like an external brain. You store all your data there. <clears throat> yeah. I've, I've fallen into that trap myself um, a number of times. I hate to admit it, but, you know, if you're in a discussion and something isn't clear, it's like, just pull up the phone. Oh, I'm going to Google it, and then I'll find out. Yeah. Like, yeah, oh, totally. I'll try to remember first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's funny, too. I mean, just behaviorally, you see the difference, you know. Like, you know, I was sitting there waiting for the bus the other day, and everybody standing there waiting it had, had a phone in their hand and were, like, glued to it. 
Um, you know, you even see people walking down the street aren't really watching where they're going because they're so glued to their device. It's uh, It really has, in such a short period of time, changed human behavior so much. Like even aside from just the radiation exposure, um, you know, socially there are definitely consequences to this as well, I would say. Makes people more, you know, stop paying attention to their reality in the sense that, for example, in medicine, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot of doctors rely on, on applications and smartphones to pull up, you know, clinical data or, mm. you know, scales to judge, the, to make a clinical judgment. So makes, I realize that it makes people like even stop seeing their own, the, the patient in front of them, you know, like just, mm. you know, look at the patient, you know, think, you know, <laughs> your knowledge, intuition, clinical experience. And no, I see that every time people are are pulling more and more um, data from smartphones to, you know, to make clinical judgments that are then like, I don't know, literally robotic in a sense. So, I mean, yeah, hard scales yeah. are useful to a certain extent, but I feel like maybe I'm very old school, but I think that <laughs> still, you know, yeah, you have to like, be- yeah, use your mind. <laughs> It kind of brings a new definition to the idea that machines are going to take over. You know, it's not going to be like a Terminator-style thing where these robots actually literally enslave humans. It's like, no, we're just taken over, like, willingly. We just completely give ourselves over to our kind of technology instead of using our brains anymore. It's very easy to get lazy about thinking when you have these devices. Yeah. Totally. There's a great book on that topic called um, Alone Together by Sherry Turkle. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Sherry Turkle, yeah. Yeah. If, if you haven't seen that, I recommend checking it out. I'll, I'll put a link in the chat here. Um, yeah. Why we, expect, why we expect more from technology and less from each other. Interesting. There was an interesting book. It was, it's, it's a bit old now. It kind of predates, uh, you know, the smartphone revolution, but there was one called Amusing Ourselves to Death. Um, I forget the name of the author, right now but it was on a similar similar sort of theme you know this uh this idea that we've got these you know buttons that we press over and over again like our monkey mind just wants to be constantly occupied by these um different entertainments or or information or whatever um and that we end yeah. up just kind of ignoring ignoring our reality at large that is, is that so scary Neil, Neil i have one sorry sorry go ahead Gary. No, I was mentioning that, yeah, I noticed that, you know, even going in the metro, I see people, like, playing mindless games of pressing yeah. buttons, and these are, like, these are adults, you know, people, like, mm-hmm. 40 years old, pressing buttons, and I'm, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Just playing Candy Crush. Yeah. It's scary. <laughs> was that Neil Postman, Doug? I'm using yes, it was, yes. Public- public discourse in the age of show business. Yeah. Yeah. It was that one. It, you know, like I say, it's a bit dated now, but, uh, but I think his points are, are, are valid. Um, even today. Well, let's, um, let's kind of slide into our topic here. Doug, you had an article too, that you were going to cover briefly, um, about sleep and uh, preparedness. Yeah, so this one was published just on Wednesday on uh, on the health and wellness section of SOT. Um, it's called Got Sleep? Seven Reasons, Reasons Why the Well-Rested Prepper Will Prevail. And a lot of the article goes into uh, a lot of the stuff we're going to cover today, so I won't go into 
too much of that, but I just thought it was interesting that the author kind of draws um, a parallel between preparedness and um, having adequate sleep or the right kind of sleep. Um, you know, his, his point is that, um, you know, people make all these um, preparations for things, you know, they've got food, they've got money saved up and goods and things like that for if there is any kind of scenario where, you know, you've got economic collapse or a man-made disaster or natural disaster or something like that. But then what everybody seems to sacrifice is sleep. You know, so much of um, what we do, uh, we always prioritize sleep last. You know, oh, I just want to do this one more thing and then I'll go to bed. Or, oh, I just want to um, read this last article or get this one thing done. It's like our priorities seem to be backwards on that because if you don't have sleep, um, you don't think as well, you're not as healthy, your immune system is down. So all these kinds of things, you know, you're, you're taking all these steps to be prepared. And that even covers like, you know, uh, general health and wellness. You know, people will work out, they'll they'll make sure their diet is good and that sort of thing, that they're healthy, but then they'll sacrifice sleep. Um, so I, I just thought he made a, a pretty interesting uh, point there because you want, you can't really consider yourself prepared for anything if you aren't getting enough sleep. And he said, you know, he makes a couple of points like sleep restores the body, sleep reduces stress, and, you know, in a in a, any kind of disaster scenario, reducing your stress is key um, because if you're, you're too stressed out, then you're not able to see the situation clearly and uh, you won't be able to make the proper decisions. You know, if you have your um, sympathetic mode, so like the uh, fight or flight mode, um, your higher thinking faculties aren't accessible to you. So you might just be reacting uh, from a place of stress and not really um, being able to see uh, the situation from like a calm perspective and be able to see the wider, um, wider view and maybe come up with some solutions yeah. that you wouldn't be able to in, in that stress, um, stress situation. Um, he also says that uh, sleep reduces illness, uh, sleep improves memory. Um, another major thing, you know, if you're, if you need to have your memory um, to be able to kind of connect dots and, and have more abstract thinking possibilities. Um, sleep increases physical and mental acuity and increases reflex response. Um, it helps maintain positive outlook, which is obviously key. And uh, it is, he says sleep is a great healer, um, which is true. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, situations where you're, you're sick or um, injured in some way, and sleep actually um, will increase the rate at which you can heal from these things. Um, mm -hmm. Our immune system is actually busiest while you're sleeping. So if you're not sleeping, then your immune system is not functioning at uh, at top notch. So mm -hmm. that makes me, <clears throat> that makes me think of because uh, you know I've worked in um, the computer industry for a while. Just you know, not that I not in hardware but in software, and a big part of that culture is staying up late. And I've been a night owl for mm -hmm. for many years. Um, and it makes me think of the phrase "I'll sleep when I'm dead." You know, and yeah. a lot of people would say that it's kind of a mark of pride, like, ah, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And like, okay, well, yeah. I'm starting to realize that you're going to be dead sooner than you want to be if you don't sleep. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I read in, uh, in one article that I was um, doing research for the show, they, they made the point that, you know, nobody has this attitude towards food or air or anything like that. It's not like, well, you know, I'm hungry now, but I can catch up on my eating later. Or I'm not getting enough oxygen at the moment, but, uh, you know, I'll just catch up later on. 
you know, it's, it's ridiculous yeah. when you look at it that way, but we do have that attitude towards sleep. Like, you know, you can, you can go without sleep during the week or not enough sleep during the week and just catch up on the weekend. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Right. Even people who, in theory, are able to sleep more, like kids and teenagers, because they don't have certain responsibilities, <laughs> they're not mm -hmm. sleeping. I was surprised to read about that because, you know, when I was a kid, you know, yes, like it was, there was like an official bedtime, you know, hour. But now, mm -hmm. you know, kids are staying up in their computers, in their phones, watching movies, socializing mm -hmm. in Facebook, and when do they sleep? I mean, they need like quite a lot of sleeping, you know, for brain development, and it's not happening, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I yeah. remember when I was a teenager, sleep, yeah, sleep was, was simply not a priority. You know, I would I would stay up way into the wee hours of the morning doing doing various activities and, you know, sleep until noon, one o'clock the next day or something, not, you know, not really realizing how detrimental that was. Or I don't know if I would have cared, to be perfectly honest, you know, it was it was just part of part of the lifestyle, the teenage lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, um, you know, obviously <clears throat> sleeping in, in darkness uh, is important, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. How to ensure that your environment is totally dark, but um, it mm -hmm. just made me think that there's nothing necessarily wrong with being a night owl. It's just this lack mm -hmm. of sleep. Like you know, um, uh, for many years I listened to the Art Bell show, and he talked about that from time to time because his show was always from midnight to five in the morning, but he mm -hmm. slept during the day. He was on a completely reverse cycle, just like somebody who works a regular night shift. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. You just still have to be making sure that your cycles are in order and that you're still getting that sleep, uh, you know, at some time. Um, in fact, we have uh, today our our live uh, experimental subject is Gabby. <laughs> yeah. You said you, you were up until five at work? Yeah. No. When it was time for you the show, I told the guys, how do you guys feel about doing the show by yourself? <laughs> yes. I'm going to go to bed now. Um, yes, I do. Uh, as you were talking about the computer industry and how there is a fashion of staying up late. Um, in medicine, there is a imposed fashion that you have to do that yeah. shit. After your normal work shit, you know, your working hours, you start, you know, um, a night shift, and those are usually so you are, you know, up and around uh, or or available for 24 hours. And uh, yes, I do five night shifts per month, and I had one last night. And yes, and uh, I went to bed at five at five a.m. in the morning. <laughs> and yeah. uh, yes, I've been. I'm very, you know, I don't have problems with insomnia. <laughs> I can fall asleep, you know, very well. And um, I do, in the night shift, yes, I do have problems staying up a lot um, in comparison with other people. I take lots of vitamin C. And, uh, and the day afterwards, yes, I will typically feel, and there's even research to suggest this, I feel more anxious. Um, and it's much harder, sometimes impossible, to have a healthy distance from it. Even though 
previous day, you know, or in a normal day, I will be like, you know, I'll be, I'll feel fine. It's just that, you know, it messes with your brain. Like you cannot use your prefrontal cortex <laughs> properly, mm-hmm. you know, when you're like in sleep. And uh, to the point that I force myself, you know, just to go to bed immediately and try to interact as less as possible because I know, I know I'm not myself, so to speak, you know, that I'm like. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. and this is also research. You know, people who have this sleep deprivation are, you know, have display like psychotic symptoms. In a sense. Mm-hmm. And for me, yeah, I, I'm very cautious with people. And if I see a patient like at between 5 a.m. and 7 a.m. in the last hours of the night shift, I'm at barely minimum interaction, just concentrated in, in, in you know. And evaluating, you know, um, aggravating factors, uh, like emergency stuff, uh, you know, forget about hello or, you know, or chat or, you know, let me just do my job and this nurse is going to take care of you. (laughs) It's really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the conditions, you know, and I know it's like that for a lot of people. In several industries, yes. in several employments, and when I read articles about good sleep, I think to myself, wouldn't that be nice to see most people don't have problems with insomnia? They just, you know, they're barely holding to their jobs, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah I, I have a family member who works in, in nursing, and he struggles with that as well. Um, you know, has to work the night shift. And so, <clears throat> oftentimes, the normal schedule of the day is offset, uh, and so, you know, he has to sleep until 3 or 4 in the afternoon in order to restore that cycle. Um, so it also impacts other things in life, you know, he has kids and, you know, regular schedules with friends and things like that, but everything is just kind of set off. Um, so I think it's a, um, maybe not natural, but it's a byproduct of our, our modern society that night shifts are, are necessary. Um, just because of the, the way things are set up and, you know, hospitals have to be on call and things like that. But um, it certainly, I think, would be more beneficial if everybody could be on the same daytime, nighttime schedule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is unfortunate, but uh, disease doesn't, you know, doesn't stick to our, our daily schedule, unfortunately. So right. I think that's one yeah industry where unfortunately it is it is necessary like and it really is unfortunate because you know if you th- think about these people um you know medical personnel who are on, in this lack of sleep state or you know improper sleep state because they're sleeping during the day instead of instead of at nighttime and which is you know counter to uh, the circadian rhythms that um you know the body is designed to operate so that means that basically the person who's making these um, you know, life and death decisions um, isn't in uh, possession of their um, um, proper, you know, intellectual faculties, or you know, their 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 own immune system is not uh, is not functioning as it should be. Um, so it it really is an unfortunate situation, um, unavoidable in that sort of case. But then you think about the shift workers who are doing like factory jobs or something like that, who are you know they're just they're 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 put in this position just because you know the factory needs to increase their production or something like that. So you need to um, you know work from midnight to 8 a.m. or something like that. Um, you know those 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 situations I think are are less necessary and maybe need to be reevaluated. Yeah. yeah. 
I think in a more caring community society, it will, you know, shift workers will be, you know, will have a different schedule. They will be looked after. You know, it reminds me of a story I heard in the 80s or 90s. I don't know if it still holds true, but I heard that pilots that do transatlantic flights because of the shift in time zone, they were allowed mm -hmm. one week up, um, to adjust to the new time zone. And after one week of being in the new country where they flew, they will fly back, you know, and um, and yes, and sleep was well covered, you know. They will have uh, always someone available that slept properly, and you know, and they have medical checkups, and you know, they have more resources, more staff, and reinforcements. And this is something that usually typically suffers, especially when the economy is in, you know, economic crisis. There's a shortage, cottage of jobs, and people then, even those who have specifically night shifts and could in theory rest during the day, they have stuff to take care of about during the day as well. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, people are literally like, you know, very stressful, falling apart, you know. The only thing, you know, I joke, you know, during my night shifts, it's like, don't worry, we'll just join and make um, areolas, <laughs> which is our our <laughs> breathing meditation program from <laughs> from Sad.net, you know, and like yes, please. <laughs> like, we want to breathe. Yeah. I mean, something yeah. like that, you know. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But talking about modern society too, you know, I, I think um, uh, it's uh, it's. Um, I'm losing my point here. Maybe mm -hmm. I didn't get enough sleep either. It's <laughs> 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 uh, <clears throat> endemic, I think that. Uh, all of these things kind of pile on top of one another. Oh, like the uh, the debt issue. So, you know, mm. it seems maybe unrelated, um, but the fact that everybody's got, you know, rents and bills and uh, student debt is at an all-time high. Um, you know, taxes are very high, and so people, especially in, um, well, most especially in third-world countries, but also in the West, are having to work and work and work and work and work um, much more, I think, than they used to have to. Um, mm. I think, you know, kind of back in the day when you could put in a solid shift, um, get your work done, and then spend your time taking care of uh, other things in your life, like spending time with your family um, and your friends. Um, whereas now, you know, it's like there, there was that speech uh, that George Bush gave a number of years ago where he congratulated some woman on being uniquely American because she worked three jobs. And how great sure. is that? You know, and like, no, it's not great. It's not, it's not the ideal situation for a human being to be working three jobs just to make ends meet and just barely at that. Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, that, that state of where we're at and how much we have to work to kind of keep up with, um, you know, the economy and the way things are um, also affects our sleep. And then over time, you know, affects our mental state. Um and when you combine that with the uh, the pollutants that we were talking about, the the state of the modern American diet and um, just the state of our minds, we're we're in quite a bit of trouble right now these days. Yeah. So it's like there's a parallel between uh, debt and sleep debt. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And yeah, a complete paramoralism because you know it's just like. Oh, look at her, like, you know, she's so, like, good, tough, courageous, when it's actually, like, complete slave, you know, like, 
slowly dying away just to keep up with three jobs, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And uh, I know some statistics, like I reviewed just before the show, like 7% reductions leak, leads to 100% risk of heart disease, which reminds me, mm-hmm. you know, every time, you know, there are where I live, there are very elderly people, people living to their 90s, sometimes 100s. It was different times, you know, even though there was um, a civil war, there was a lot of famine when these people were young, when these grandparents were young, they had a very good lifestyle, you know, no electric pollution, no electromagnetic waves. They ate a lot of pork and they still do. It's traditional eating in this area, lots of animal fats. Well, and, you know, and the social links, family links, is just, you know, astounding, beautiful. So these people, like, um, really, you know, get to be very elderly and happy and very, their cognitive function is also pretty good. And um, it's interesting because I think we've made a comparison with, you know, their, their, the next generation, their children, and the people that are now, like, you know, in their 50s. Uh, and so their health is so much worse. And uh, it also mm-hmm. makes me think that uh, I haven't seen any elderly doctors. You know, they usually all die <laughs> pretty huh. young, you know. Yeah. Like, especially they spend their whole life, you know, working you know, in the emergency room or stuff like that. Yeah, there's not such a thing as an elderly man who worked. Maybe I have stumbled upon such a case, but yeah, it was definitely odd, <laughs> not the norm. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe this leads nicely into, you know, some of the consequences of a lack of sleep. Uh, when I was doing research for this, I found a pretty good uh, Mercola article where he kind of summarizes quickly the uh, the, the consequences of um of of not getting enough sleep. And the first one that he says is it does increase your risk of heart disease. Um, it also harms your brain by halting new cell production. Sleep deprivation can increase levels of corticosterone, um, a stress hormone, uh, resulting in fewer new brain cells being created in your hippocampus. So there's a, a connection right there to um, how it affects your brain. Uh, he also says it impairs your ability to lose excess pounds or maintain your ideal weight. This is likely the effect of altered metabolism because when you're sleep-deprived, leptin, the hormone that signals satiety, falls while ghrelin, the, um, the hormone that signals hunger, rises. So it's like you're not getting enough sleep, so your appetite suddenly is much higher. Um, and, of course, it's going to be an appetite for you know refined carbs, uh, junk food, that sort of thing. So it's going to lead to uh, problems with your health. Um, related to that, he says it contributes to a pre-diabetic state making you feel hungry even if you've already eaten, which can wreak havoc on your weight. But, of course, we know that it's not just your weight that's going to suffer from that. You know, it increases your chance of uh, uh, heart problems, well, problems across the board, autoimmunity, all that sort of thing. Um, He also says that uh, lacking sleep accelerates tumor growth, primarily due to disrupted melatonin production. Uh, Melatonin inhibits the proliferation of a wide range of cancer cell types, as well as triggering cancer cell apoptosis, which is uh, uh, cell self-destruction. The hormone also interferes um, with the new blood supply tumors require for their rapid growth, which is called angiogenesis. So I thought that was a very interesting connection between sleep and cancer. Uh, You know, by Mm -hmm. uh, not producing enough melatonin, you are, um, you know, basically crippling one of your body's uh, means of actually halting 
uh, cancer. So that's uh, right there, uh, huge importance for sleep. Um, he says that it also contributes to premature aging by interfering with your growth hormone production, uh, it, which is normally released by your pituitary gland during uh, deep sleep. Um, so growth hormone is uh, something that actually um, contributes to your longevity and uh, your ability to stay youthful. Um, and just rounding out the list here, he says that uh, lack of sleep raises your blood, blood pressure and it increases your risk of dying from any cause. So that's just a, a statistical um, uh, fact there that uh, just by lacking sleep will increase your risk of dying from any cause. Well, that's very <laughs> 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 yeah. so everybody has to think about that when they're kind of like, oh, I'll sleep later. It's okay. I'll catch up on sleep on the weekend. Really? Well, yeah. you're paying some consequences there. Yeah. But aside, aside from shift workers, yes, a lot of people do precisely that, even though they have inferior conditions where they could respect more their sleeping cycle. But um, I think that a word, um, a hopeful word for shift workers is that, you know, we we, we do have uh, five different phases uh, or cycles uh, when we sleep. I think it's, uh, if I'm not uh, forgetting something, it's um, four cycles, you know. Yes, I have it here. It's uh, every 1,600 minutes we go through a cycle of four stages of sleep. And yes, stage one is drowsy, relaxed state uh, between being awake and sleeping. The stage two is slightly deeper sleep. You may feel awake, uh, and this means that on many nights you may be asleep and not know it. Stage three and stage four or deep sleep. It is it is very hard to wake up from deep sleep because it is when your body has the lowest amount of activity. And after deep sleep, we go back to stage two for a few minutes and then enter dream sleep, also called REM, rapid eye movement. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in a full sleep cycle, a person goes through all the stages of sleep from one to four, then back down through stages three to two before entering dream sleep. So this is where the um, two types of sleeping stems in are, are described, polyphasic sleeping and monophasic sleeping. Monophasic sleeping is when you sleep all through the night and uh, you wake up very restful and feeling like a million dollars. And the polyphasic sleep, it's also, it's actually not pathological. It's not insomnia. It, it, ha- it usually, what usually happens is that you like go to sleep early and you wake up in the middle of the night after having typically a couple of cycles. And then you stay awake for two hours or so before sleeping, before falling, uh, feeling sleepy again. And then you go to sleep and have a few more cycles before you start the day. This is also like mm-hmm. physiological, so to speak. Like it can be done and, you know, it's uh, health conducing as well. It's not, it's not pathological. So yeah. yes, it's basically like trying to adjust your body uh, depending on uh, your lifestyle. What I usually do after night shift, yes, I do go to bed, uh, try to do it in a dark room, uh, completely sealed from daylight, even though it's daylight out there. And I have as enough sleeping cycles as I can't do, you know, we just wake up and feel like, like normal again. And yes, and sometimes if I'm very, if I have things to do or like um, appointments that I cannot cancel or 
and I go through them, yes, I will, by the end of the day, I will feel like, you know, literally psychotic. So it has, it has made me mm. readjust and review my whole point of, on sleeping. And like, you know, I, I really, I'm like a hologram, you know, I'm just not there. Like, you know, I'm like a mm. ghost. So may as well, like, you know, reschedule everything. I'm sorry. I'm just not available. <laughs> and, <laughs> and <that's it. laughs> yeah. Yeah. The other light, no, that's the light thing is, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the whole um, biphasic sleep thing is really interesting. Um, and there's, there's quite a bit of evidence, if you look at old literature and stuff like that, that biphasic sleep was actually the way it was It was the norm, kind of before uh, we had electric lights. You know, people would go to sleep when the sun went down. Um, they'd go through uh, their sleep cycle, and then, they, like Gabby was saying, you'd wake up. And, you know, there would be they, they would have different sort of activities that they would do kind of in the middle of the night. Um, and then go back to sleep and, and sleep again. It was called second sleep, first sleep and second sleep. So there's some evidence that that might actually be the natural way um, for us to sleep. But, uh, you know, with the modern, uh, um, you know, with the we have electric lights now, so everybody's staying up later, and that, that's kind of fallen by the wayside. I mean, everybody would, would say, you know, who has time to do two two sleeps? You know, I'm I, lucky if I get six hours in. So... Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and certainly that <clears throat> the difference between the the light that we have available, like you were talking about electric light, and all of mm-hmm. the um, the the blue light that's coming out. Um, I know that uh, uh, light that's more in the the blue spectrum interrupts your melatonin balances when you're sleeping, so that it's very important to try to reduce that <clears throat> as you approach when you're going to go to bed. Um, there are some techniques that I've seen, for instance, wearing red tinted glasses in the evening mm-hmm. uh, can help with that, um, as well as, um, uh, you know, either not using the computer um, right before you're going to sleep or else using uh, some software. There's one called Flux, um, mm-hmm. and if you just do, <clears throat> do a Google search for that for Flux um, sleep cycle software, I think. Um, basically, it just it decreases the the blue tint on your monitor based on the time of day, so it syncs with the clock mm-hmm. on your computer. And then, as it gets later tonight, your your monitor turns to a little bit more of a red shift, um, and that allows your cycles to kind of kick in. Um, so it's, there are some things you can do um, with that aside from the obvious, like if you have any of those little blue LED lights, like on devices or on your computers, just put a little piece of electrical tape over that. Um, so that it's mm-hmm. not, you know, disrupting your cycle. Um, yeah. But uh, really, that... really quick, I, I just wanted to say um, that we have a guest call-in number here, mm-hmm. uh, and if anybody who's listening wants to call in and give us some uh, anecdotal stories or, you know, sleep deprivation experiences or anything like that, um, <laughs> 718-508-508. 
it does interfere with your uh, with your melatonin production. It can decrease it by as much as 50%. Um, so yeah, you you know melatonin is is your sleep hormone, um, and if you're not producing enough of that. Um, you're not going to be sleeping properly, even if you do manage to fall asleep. You know, the four cycles of sleep that, that Gabby was mentioning, you, you might not be able to get into all those four different stages of sleep, and you will wake up not fully rested. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it, it's it's important to have kind of a bedtime routine. And I think we kind of tend to, to, to suffer from this in our modern life. We're like keeping, you know, we have so many things we need to do during the day, so we just keep doing those things right up until the minute where it's like, okay, I must sleep now. And uh, we don't have kind of this this necessary routine of kind of winding down and, and you know, dimming the lights so that you're not uh, exposing yourself to, to daytime conditions, um, allowing your uh, your melatonin to start being produced. Um, you know, there's, there's different things you can do. Like I said, turning the lights down. Jonathan, you mentioned putting on um, red-tinted uh, glasses. That can help as well. I've seen uh, people online who kind of cover all their lights with like a red um, scarf or something like that to kind of uh, shift to that, that dimmer um, light. You know, turn off your devices, turn off your TV like an hour before you want to go to bed. And it also is best to kind of try and get to, to bed by 10 o'clock. Um, that kind of matches your body's natural cycle. Um, so the more you stay up after that, the more detrimental it's going to be. So, um, you know, if you, you, you can't just look at the amount of sleep and say, okay, as long as I get my eight hours and I'm fine, if I sleep from one in the morning until nine in the morning, I'll be okay. It, it doesn't quite work that way. You know, you need to stay in sync with your body's natural rhythms, with the Earth's natural rhythms, the, uh, what are referred to as circadian rhythms. Um, of sun up and sun down. So yeah, any any of these things can interfere with a proper sleep. So yeah, I think I think it's important. You, know, you can put on some relaxing music, or you know um, maybe put some essential oils in a diffuser and have like some nice calming uh, aromatherapy going or something like that. Um, taking a, a, a warm bath like uh, with Epsom salts, um, all those things can be very calming, and it's it's all. Uh, good idea to, to try and engage in some of these activities to make sure that your sleep is um, fruitful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I've, I've had a <clears throat> plenty of experience with that, like I said, working, you know, with or working on uh, computers for a living. Um, oftentimes it's like, uh, I got to get this thing done or there's a deadline and I'm on the screen, on the screen, and then I want to, you know, read some articles or I want to read the forum or do Facebook or something like that. And I'm on the screen right mm-hmm. up until when I'm like, oh, crap, I got to go to bed now, you know, and yeah, yeah without without fail, uh, have physical sleep after something like that. Yeah. And I even uh, sometimes have have difficulty falling asleep if I if I do that kind of thing. I remember there was a time I was working on some audio work. Um, so I was on the computer and I had headphones on, so I was probably being exposed to a lot of EMF radiation. And, you know, when I finally did, was like, okay, no, I have to go to sleep. I was wired. I couldn't fall asleep at all mm-hmm. after that. You know, I was like tossing and turning for, you know, a couple, it seemed like a couple of hours before I could finally fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of the, uh, the psychological implications, um, we had mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the idea that your cognitive functions decrease when you have a lack of sleep or when you're up too late. Um, and mm-hmm. I've also noticed that in my own experience, without fail, if I have to solve some kind of a problem, 
it happens in the morning afterwards. Um, I mm-hmm. rarely am up late, stressed, trying to figure out say something related to code when it dawns on me and I find the solution at like 3.30 in the morning. That doesn't usually happen. Usually it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, and then, okay, I got to go to sleep, and then the, the answer will come the next day. Um, so, you know, yeah, it, it's – and the problem is you get into a rhythm of, you know, faulty thinking and thinking that you need to stay up late to try to solve it. Like, I need to put my energy into this right now when, for some reason, we kind of feel like going to sleep might be lazy. You know, or I might mm-hmm. be like, well, I don't deserve to go to sleep because I haven't figured this out yet, uh, when in fact mm-hmm. the opposite is true. Yeah. yeah, there's actually research on this um, that shows, you know, there's a lot of wisdom to that idea of I'm going to sleep on it. Um, it. Like recent research shows that like sleep can actually help store and consolidate memories. Like we have greater access to our memories, both the, both the facts that we've learned and the experiences from the past, if we've slept enough. Um, so it, it turns out that memories are actually kind of a fragile thing um, when they're first formed. And there was an interesting research that showed that people who were practicing or, or learning um, new skills on piano, um, they compared those who did it at, um, you know, in the evening and then went to sleep afterwards, uh, compared it to people who would do it earlier in the day and then kind of go about their, their day and, and go to sleep normally at night. And they found that the people who, who slept um, right afterwards uh, remembered the, um, uh, the the things that they had learned on the piano much better than the people who didn't. So the idea that you know you can you can kind of sleep on something um, and that your brain is kind of working and and storing memories and um, discarding the stuff that is isn't isn't necessary and um, kind of making connections with the stuff that is important with past memories. Um, there's there's a lot going on in the brain while you sleep. Yeah, it puts a whole new meaning to dream work as well. When you sleep on a problem mm-hmm. and you sleep well and you wake up, you know, with like a solution and like, whoa, yeah. And yeah. Then, you know, it's interesting because, you know, while we sleep, all these research is happening. For example, for me, it's very interesting that melatonin, you know, which is produced from serotonin, our happy mood chemical, um, there is a, that pathway also stimulates the same brain circuit activated by the brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is basically mm-hmm. a super fertilizer for our brain, you know. Mm-hmm. And if we lack sleep and we need on that, you know, we become less resistant to stress. Our brain doesn't gener- um, regenerate and then we fall, you know, with depression and eventually with a neurodegenerative disease, you know. And also while we sleep, you know, and there's a very interesting article research uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was, and the titles of this research went like this, how the brain takes out the trash while we sleep. You know, basically, Mm -hmm. we flush out waste from the brain, but only if we sleep, you know. So it gives like a fresh new meaning to that, you know, good good night sleep clears mind. Yeah, that was really interesting uh, research. It was, uh, you're right, it was a couple of years ago, it was 2013. And it, it kind of showed that um, the brain has this um, this system for, for kind of clearing out waste. Um, so what it does is it actually shrinks the brain cells um, by 60%. So they're smaller. So what that does is increases the space between those cells. 
uh, and then it floods the brain with uh, cerebral spinal fluid. And what that does is has a flushing uh, property. So it takes all the toxic stuff that's built up over the course of the day, including um, amyloid plaques, which are what uh, lead to Alzheimer's and uh, other neurological disorders. Um, so it, it actually flushes that stuff out. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a different system from the lymphatic system, which is what works in the rest of the body to kind of remove waste. Uh, it's called the glymphatic system. So the G is apparently a nod to the glial cells. So it's like a short form for glial-mediated lymphatic system. So it's uh, the glymphatic system. And it has to be a separate system because the, blood, uh, the brain is kind of a, a closed ecosystem. Um, it's guarded very um, diligently by uh, the blood-brain barrier just to not let you know, toxins or microbial um, uh, microbes uh, into the brain. So it can't have the regular lymphatic system going into the brain. It has to have its own system. So it kind of just, uh, you know, the, this glymphatic system uh, hooks up to the, um, the circulatory system and all the waste is just kind of flushed out that way and eventually it reaches the liver where it can be detoxified. So I thought that was really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Also, the words from anthropologist uh, Teresa Willey, she's the author of the book, Lights Out, and she's behind mm. the theory that, you know, we'll live in a perpetual summertime, which ages, you know, our body. She says that when our body translates long hours of artificial light into summertime, um, it instinctively knows that summer comes before winter and that winter means no available food. So you begin to crave parts and so you can store fat for a time when food is scarce and you should be hibernating. So with artificial light, we've created an endless summer and altered this rhythm and in turn we've altered our hormonal balance. Since we evolved and adapted to this new rhythm when we are exposed to heat, sugar and light for 12 months of the year, we naturally experience accelerated biological time which ultimately is the reason for cancer, high levels of insulin that lead to heart disease and diabetes. Because once you've lost the rhythm, you're out of step and you lose your balance. Then comes the fall from grace. This is quite mm-hmm. literally from her. Yeah, that's a really fascinating book. Lots of really interesting dot connecting in that book. Yeah. Uh, she covers some of the research, which, which for the most part, it is uh, sponsored by the NIH, National Institutes of Health, like from the public government of the U.S. <laughs> and they provide actually the evidence that depression, obesity, heart disease, cancer can be prevented with good sleep, you know, turning the lights up, mm-hmm. literally. So, yeah, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, what we can do to uh, to help sleep. Um, when we were talking uh, before the show, Doug, you had mentioned um, you know you work in a uh, in the the health um, uh, like kind of the natural supplementation uh, store, and that a lot of people that come mm-hmm. in have sleep issues. What do you think the percentage of yeah. that is? Like, how many people really are, are looking for help with sleep? Uh, it's hard to say, but I'd say probably at least 40% of the people who come in are asking for sleep, sleep aids of some kind. Wow. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is, it really is an epidemic, I'd say. Yeah. And what, uh, what, what's kind of the, um, 
the main thing that people use for that. I know uh, melatonin is one, and I've, I've used melatonin mm-hmm. in the past, but I also find that when I take too much melatonin, it actually makes me kind of jittery and I have a hard time falling asleep. So I'm very mm-hmm. easy to strike a, a proper balance of those uh, supplements. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think I think you know over and above supplements, and I will talk about supplements in a second. But I think one of the main things is to have proper sleep hygiene. Um, so I know Tiffany referred this as uh, to um, making a bat cave. You know, the idea that you need to have a sleep area that is conducive to proper sleep. So one of the main things that you need to do for that is to remove all light sources from the room and to cover up um, any kind of leaking light sources as much as you possibly can. So, uh, you know, the best thing you can do is to get blackout curtains to make sure that no ambient light is coming in your windows or anything. Um, Make sure that all electronic devices um, that have any kind of LED light on them or or some kind of light, like even a a smoke detector or something like that, you need to cover those lights up uh, completely because any amount of light uh, can interfere with your melatonin production. I remember in... uh, um, in uh, T.S. Wiley's book, Lights Out, she talked about a, a study where they exposed people to light um, the size of a dime um, on like the back of their leg or something like that. Um, so that's the only light exposure that they had, but they found that melatonin production was significantly reduced just by that amount of light. So it really goes to show how much you need to, to eliminate those light sources. That includes like clock radios, anything. I <laughs> Uh, interesting story. I bought a pair of shoes for um, working out, um, like some some shoes for uh, for doing uh, exercise. And I didn't realize it until I got it home. But they actually glow in the dark. They have uh, yeah. like glow in the dark parts on them. So I was laying in bed and I was kind of like, where? What is that light? Where is that light coming from? And I look over and lo and behold, it's my shoes. So now I have to cover them with a towel um, before I go to bed every day. Um, Another thing oh, you want to do is, oh, sorry. Oh, that, that experiment I wanted to ask, that's just light on your skin? That's not necessarily ocular exposure? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was behind the knee, the, the knee. Yeah. Ah. The person didn't saw the light. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't matter your eyes. Like those sleep masks that you see, um, you know, they might be helpful in some way, but, you know, you can't sleep in a lighted room with a sleep mask on and think that you're getting, you know, the the, um, the, the same kind of darkness that you would if you actually, yeah. you know, you have to make sure, like, every cell in your body is is sensitive to light. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, you need to, yeah. That's a fascinating um, distinction. I think something probably not many people are aware of that. And, I mean, you know, for, for years I was just under the impression that you just needed to cover your eyes. So, yeah, yeah. very interesting. No, that's because... This research is not um, very well known, but we actually have cells called cryptochromes. It's in our bloodstream, and we pick up the blue spectrum mm-hmm. of light and mm-hmm. through our skin. And that light, yeah, it uh, inhibits the, um, melatonin production. It also keeps pathological bacteria and the gut thriving. So mm-hmm. it's also related to our immune system. That's oh, the research wow. covering lights out. Lights out, folks. Wow. Uh, a couple other things you want to do to keep, uh, you know, your sleep hygiene on track. Um, you want to make sure you get all EMF exposure, so radiation exposure, out of your sleeping area. 
So that includes mm-hmm. cell phones, Wi-Fi, all that kind of stuff. You want to either have it completely out of the room or turned off, preferably turned off, um, so that you're not exposed to any of that. Also, grid noise. Um, we had a couple of episodes about EMFs and um, just talking about the uh, the noise that comes off of the wiring in your house in general. And unfortunately, um, houses are designed so that your the the um, the uh, electricity is flowing kind of right at head level when you're laying in bed. So you want to keep yourself away from any kind of outlet. Um, but even if you do keep yourself away from an outlet, um, you know just the wires in the uh, the wall will create magnetic fields, and that will affect your sleep as well. Um, so you can do things like put filters on your um, on your uh, just plug them into your your electrical system to kind of dampen that effect. Um, but I know some people even go so far as to turn the circuit off to their room um, if it's possible to do that. I mean, you just need to you know you might need an alarm clock or something like that plugged in. So. Um, but uh, if you can, I mean, that, that would be the ideal. You just cut that circuit to your room at night so you're not being exposed to anything like that. Yeah. Another important aspect is um, cognitive therapy. It's just we basically go back to the same, you know, sleeping hygiene. And um, it is tips especially for people who have, like, some sort of ADHD for <laughs> sleeping, you know, patterns. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's basically to okay lay down to go to sleep only when you're sleepy. Do not use your bed for anything, you know, except for sleep. I mean, in the sense that don't watch television, don't eat, don't read, you know. And um, if you find yourself unable to fall asleep, get up and go into another room, you know, and stay up, stay up as long as you need to, and just go back to your bedroom when you are falling asleep again. And um, usually it's better to not watch the clock and um, mm-hmm. and uh, it's basically good to remember that goal, you know, your bed was falling asleep quickly. If you don't fall asleep within 10 minutes, then you get out of bed again and go to a different room and go mm-hmm. to the same, you know, to the same pattern over and over again until you finally can fall asleep within 10 minutes. And next day, you know, you have to wake up, you know, set your alarm and wake up uh, every morning irrespective of how much sleep you finally got during the night and your mm-hmm. body will just, you know, it will readjust and don't take a nap uh, either. And with these, you know, cognitive therapy steps, you know, it's uh, usually good night's sleep can be achieved. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate because it can be um, kind of like a... Um, uh, like a cycle, you know, you get anxious about the fact that you're not getting enough sleep or that you can't fall asleep. And of course that prevents you from getting sleep. So I think it's important to kind of keep perspective on it and to kind of not be um, too stressed out about whether or not you're getting enough sleep. I, I have a friend who has a lot of sleep problems and I'm convinced that his problem is that he is so anxious about getting enough sleep you know, he, he's like, oh, my God, you know, I've got a big meeting the next day and all this kind of stuff. And he's really stressed out about whether or not he's going to get enough sleep. And that just, you know, it, it, it compounds the problem because if you're stressed yeah. out, you're not going to be able to sleep. And I think that... Yeah, um, people... No, yeah, I was going to say that there are actually sleeping studies when people typically report, I didn't sleep anything at all last night. And they have these monitors and it shows they actually slept. 
So mm. you know, and people get stressed over it. I didn't sleep anything at all, but they did slept, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Morning. I think that. Uh, yeah, I think I think that like relaxation techniques are important for this, and I think the uh, the Eru Olis uh, breathing meditation program that we do uh, on SOT uh, is very helpful for that. You know, you uh, you do some breathing exercises that stimulate the vagus nerve, which uh, shuts down the stress response and just kind of allows you to fall asleep. So that's that's a, an important tool as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, getting into uh, supplements, um, there are a number of natural supplements that can um, can help with sleep. Um, there's a couple of different, one of the things I try to establish when people um, come into the store and say that they're having sleep issues, I always ask them, you know, are you having trouble falling asleep or are you waking up in the middle of the night and can't get back to sleep? Um, because I, there, there is kind of a distinction there. Usually, um, if somebody's having trouble falling asleep and they have kind of that, uh, those running thoughts, you know, these thought patterns that won't shut up and you just kind of like are overthinking things and, and things are, are kind of running through your brain over and over again. Um, there's a couple of things that can help with that. It's usually an issue with um, cortisol, that your cortisol is mm. uh, is too high, your cortisol cycle is, um, is off. So, um, yeah, it can usually uh, what that means is like your, your cortisol is supposed to be low during the day. Um, or sorry, it's supposed to be low at night before you go to sleep, and it should be high um, at, um, during the day when you're active and having to uh, to do things. So um, mm-hmm. in that kind of situation, um, a cortisol lower might be uh, helpful. So um, ashwagandha is uh, an Ayurvedic herb that uh, helps to lower cortisol. Uh, there's another thing called relora which is actually not one herb, it's a couple. It's a combination of magnolia and uh, philodendron. Um, and that will also help to kind of lower your, your cortisol levels. Um, phosphatidylserine is another one that will lower uh, cortisol levels. Uh, ginkgo biloba. Uh, zinc and vitamin A are also ones that will help with that. Um, there's a couple of calm, uh, calming herbs as well. Um, Tulsi, otherwise known as holy basil, um, that's another one that uh, helps with uh, stress and anxiety and helps you calm down. Uh, passion flower is another one. Um, using the amino acid that's found in green tea called theanine, that one actually um, increases the amount of GABA in your brain. And GABA is a neurotransmitter that uh, is kind of like the anti-anxiety um, neurotransmitter. So that's why a lot of people can drink green tea, which while it contains caffeine, they still find that they can get to sleep afterwards. It's because of that theanine that's in there. Um, valerian is an herb that a lot of people use. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I find that it can lead to grogginess the next day, um, and it is habit-forming. So valerian is something maybe you can use in an emergency or something like that if you're um, all wound up and you can't get to sleep, but, uh, but I don't think it's something that should be used regularly. Um, and magnesium is another one. Um, magnesium has a, a calming effect, um, particularly if you are uh, deficient in magnesium, which many, many people are. So magnesium can be helpful for uh, for helping you sleep. Um, taking melatonin, Jonathan, you mentioned that before. Um, some people do have um, bad experiences with it. Usually that's because they did too much. Um, you know, it, it, more is not better when it comes to melatonin. You know, a lot of people come in and they're like, oh, I'm having a lot of trouble sleep, so I need a lot of melatonin. Give me 10 milligrams. 
well, that's a huge dose. And the thing is, if you overshoot what your needs are for melatonin, you actually end up, like you said, Jonathan, having a more disturbed sleep. You know, you get kind of these like half-sleep, half-wake cycles, really weird dreams, that kind of thing. So I always recommend with melatonin, people start at something like one milligram or even a half milligram. Um, and if that doesn't help you, you know, you just kind of go up incrementally to kind of find your spot. Um, there is some controversy over melatonin. Some people say that uh, it's not a good idea to take it regularly because um, it, uh, it, it will interfere with, the, with the, your natural production of it. I haven't seen any research that actually points to that, but maybe it is best to kind of be uh, cautious with it. Um, it is really good for if you're changing time zones to reacclimatize yourself to the normal um, sleep cycle that's uh, uh, in conjunction with where you've just traveled to. So that can be uh, helpful. But uh, perhaps something that's more, um, more useful than uh, melatonin, um, just because of that possibility of, uh, of dependence to, um, developing is to use 5-HTP. And Gabby was mentioning this before, that's like a precursor to melatonin. So you're more taking in the stuff that your body needs to make it rather than taking the whole form in itself. So, yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome. good. I'm glad to hear people are yeah. interested in natural supplements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys have any experience with these kinds of things? Have you have you tried any of them? Um, I tried I did, uh, valerian. Mm. Oh, go ahead. I tried 5-HTP and melatonin. 5-HTP a long time ago. And melatonin mm. typically just after night shift to reset my circadian uh, rhythm. That's it. Mm. Yeah. And yes, with good results, it's actually, you know, I, I recover much faster and feel much better sooner. Oh, good. Yeah, I tried valerian root for a period of time, but <clears throat> I found similar to what you had mentioned that it results in grogginess the next morning. Um, mm. It does it does help with sleep, but it's just kind of uh, there's a there's a sort of valerian hangover that you can get. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, my experience with melatonin was good, except when I happened to take a little bit too much. So I think you're right on the mark there that just very small amounts are are good, and um, I've also found 5-HTP uh, to be helpful in the past, but uh, mm-hmm. mostly, basically, it's just staying active. And on days when I'm able to get uh, exercise or some kind of activity during the day, I, I sleep much better overall. So I think yeah. mm-hmm. keeping a well-rounded lifestyle and eating properly, of course, too. You know, if you're if you're having a lot of sugar during the day, that's going to throw your balance off. Yeah, and that's actually well, one of the one of the the things I was going to say. You know, if people come in and tell me that it's not so much falling asleep that they're having a problem with, but they'll they'll wake up in the middle of the night and they're they're suddenly wide awake and they can't you know they can't fall back asleep. A lot of times that's actually a blood sugar issue. Um, what's mm-hmm. happening is that their blood their blood sugar is crashing in the middle of the night because they haven't eaten in a while, um, and then you know that makes the stress hormones kick in because. Um, your, your body's in a state of emergency and needs to get more blood sugar right away. Um, so in those kinds of situations, I think the best thing to do is to kind of look at the diet. Um, you know, obviously a ketogenic diet is, is kind of the best solution to that because you're not dependent upon blood sugar anymore. You won't experience these blood sugar swings. 
But, you know, barring that, I mean, I can't tell everybody who comes in the store to come to go on a ketogenic diet, although I do try. Um, you, you, you know, you might have to have like a, a, a small snack before bed or something like that, preferably not something sugary, um, you know, just to, uh, to kind of normalize those, uh, those blood sugar levels so you won't be having, experiencing these crashes at night. Um, yeah. And just the word yep. melatonin for those who want to experiment with it. There is time release melatonin, which respects more the mm-hmm. way it is treated in the body. Because normal melatonin, yeah, you can fall asleep very quick, but then you wake up later in the night and, you know. And time release melatonin, it's more physiological, so it could work better for your experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's... Um Let's go to our pet health segment here. Uh, we've got uh, Zoya has done a, a bit for us on um, sleep as it relates to the health of your pets. Um, so let's go to Zoya, and then we'll be back uh, after this to kind of wrap up. And um, we do have a recipe today for ginger aid, sugar-free ginger aid. Hmm. We'll be back uh, after this. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Today, we are going to talk about strange and surprising facts about how animals sleep. As we know, sleep is comprised of two parts, non-REM sleep and REM sleep. To get the full complements of sleep, humans need to have both. But that's not always the case for animals. It seems that sleep may serve different functions for different animals, which is why there are such widely different uh, sleep durations and ways of sleeping depending on the manufacturers that play for a species. For instance, many whale species sleep with only half their brain at a time, keeping the other half active for such important functions as uh, staying at the surface for breathing. Some migratory birds can adjust how much sleep they need depending on the season, getting by with much less sleep during migration season than at other times of the year. Meanwhile, carnivores have the luxury of sleeping more hours in the day than herbivores, which are generally prey species constantly on the lookout for carnivores. And most mammal infants sleep much uh, of the time during their first few weeks and months of life, yet baby dolphins don't sleep at all their first few months. This shows that while sleep is important for cognitive function for some species, that may not be why sleep is vital to other species. The variety of ways animal sleep is staggering. And researchers are only beginning to make a dent in uh, understanding the inner workings and purpose of sleep among different species. Indeed, sleep can be a bit mysterious. So, here are a few fascinating facts about different animal species and their sleeping patterns. As I already said, uh, dolphins and whales have the ability to sleep with only uh, one half of their brain at a time. And uh, this indeed prevents them from drowning in the sleep. Sea otters will sometimes hold hands while they sleep so they don't drift away from each other. Giraffes can go weeks without sleep. Being large and rather slow animals, they are constantly vulnerable to attacks from predators and therefore cannot sleep for long periods. Migrating birds can sleep uh, while flying. Some species of birds fly for six months straight migrating, eating, drinking and sleeping. Uh, while airborne. Cows like to sleep close to their families 
and sleeping arrangements are determined by individual rank in the society, in, in the social hierarchy. Horses, zebras, and elephants can sleep standing up. This is because they are prey animals and need to be alert in case they are attacks, attacked. But horses and cows, uh, indeed, while they indeed can sleep standing up, um, they don't experience full REM sleep, uh, meaning rapid eye movement, uh, which allows us to dream unless they lie down. Now, the sleepiest animals um, are um, basically little brown bat that sleeps for 19 hours, giant armadillo for 18 hours, opossum also sleeps 18 hours, uh, sloth only 14 hours, tiger sleeps for 15 hours, cats 12.5 hours, uh, dolphins 10.4, uh, dog sleeps for 10 hours, uh, pig 7.8, and horses 2.9 and as i already said giraffe uh, can sleep half an hour or even less uh, depends on the situation now other facts are that are interesting like for example a desert snail can snooze for three years um, for example to avoid predators african papio baboons sleep on their heels and uh, bats sleep upside down for several reasons. It makes them less obvious prey, and it allows them to take off at any moment should any threat emerge. And bats must fall into flying because their wings aren't strong enough for them to alight from a standing position. Now, as uh, I already mentioned about migrating birds, uh, an albatross can sleep while it flies too and also something about insects. Although it is commonly, uh, commonly believed that ants never sleep, a study on fire ants showed that the workers uh, within the colony experienced uh, 253 sleep episodes per day and each lasted about 1.1 1 .1 minute. Now, uh, a little bit about hibernation. Some animals hibernate over the winter. Often referred uh, as a very uh, deep sleep, hibernating animals are doing much more than just sleeping. They are undergoing physio uh, physiological changes that can be very drastic. And, uh, for example, significant drop in body temperature. Some animals that live in deserts also undergo a form of summer hibernation called estivation to escape the blazing heat. When an animal wakes uh, from hibernation, it shows many signs of sleep deprivation, yep, and needs to sleep a lot over the next few days to recover. Well, this is it for today, and I hope that you found the information interesting, and have a nice day. <laughs> My favorite sound. Oh, thanks, sir. <laughs> yeah, I never get sick of that, yeah. <laughs> You know, I was thinking that, yeah, we might have been about to say the same thing, Jonathan. I was going to say it would be really great to be able to adapt to that uh, dolphin style of sleep where you just put one half of your brain to sleep at a, at, at a time and the other half can kind of remain functional. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You're going to the 
to the same pattern again, like you don't deserve sleep or <laughs> yeah. we're humans. We're just what? humans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do our uh, our recipe here for today. This is um just a simple kind of summer drink that you can make. Um and um <clears throat> I've been playing around with this over the last week. Um so it's a sugar free ginger aid. Uh, and uh, it, uh, it's slightly involved in the sense that you want to um, blend down uh, raw ginger. So I get uh, about two hands of uh, ginger, which is, you know, like a section of root um, about the size of your palm or a little bigger. Um, peel them. Uh, you can peel them with a spoon or with like a, just a regular kind of potato peeler. Um, cut them up into little chunks and then put them in the blender with just enough water so that when it's blended down, it makes kind of like a slurry. Um, <clears throat> you don't want it to be too liquidy because what you're making here is like a, a concentrate. So when you blend the ginger down with the water, then uh, strain it out through a cheesecloth and squeeze it out really well, and you'll get this liquid that's super concentrated ginger concentrate. Um, so uh, come up with that, and it usually gets um, – give or take like a cup and a half um, from the two hands of ginger. Um, then in a, in a one-quart mason jar, add uh, three cups of water, two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar, one tablespoon of powdered stevia, uh, or the sweetener of your choice if you use like xylitol or erythritol, do similar proportions there, but I use uh, a tablespoon of stevia. And then one half cup of the ginger concentrate um, then shake it up and put it in the fridge and um, take it out and you can drink it like that or put it over ice. Um, and that's, that's your ginger aid. It's pretty good. Um, it's nice and invigorating and uh, cool in the summertime. Um, and uh, we've been kind of experimenting with other uh, versions of this too, adding things like turmeric, um, cinnamon, um, mint, uh, to kind of round out the flavor, so you can play with it and uh, and add what you like and kind of see what uh, what you like with that. But that's the mm. that's the ginger. Yeah, makes a good stomach oh. tonic too. Totally. Yep. Very soothing. Well, that's uh, that's our show for today. We wanted to thank uh, everybody for tuning in and for the people in our chats. Um, and we didn't get. Any callers today, but uh, we'll keep hoping for that, and maybe in the future we can uh, we can have some people call in, or <laughs> we can get some spoof callers like some of the big radio hosts do. <laughs> but um, thanks to everybody, and uh, make sure that uh, tonight you get some good sleep, and uh, hope everybody enjoys their weekend. Oh, yeah. Be sure to listen to be sure to listen to the other two. Uh, shows on the SOT Radio Network, um, The Truth Perspective, tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern, and uh, Behind the Headlines, uh, Sunday at, at 2 p.m. Eastern on Blog Talk Radio. Um, we've got some interesting co topics coming up. So thanks again, everybody, and we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Sweet, sweet dreams, everybody. Sweet dreams. <laughs> <laughs>